0: This podcast contains content that may be offensive or traumatic to some listeners and is not suitable for people under the age of 18. Audience discretion is advised. A man in his late 20s has been reported the missing... ...scouring
1: bushland in the Yarra ...has range. been
0: missing, feared, murdered for almost like a year. Like these eight
1: people who are now the focus of
0: this year. Police say she has been missing... This
1: is okay. The Missing Files. This, this is news. The Missing Files.
2: Y'day, mate. Yeah, Ad's Hello, eh, mate? Good. Listen, um, I don't know if you've seen, but I reckon we've lost the mum.
1: The voice you just heard was our investigative journalist, Daniel Johns. He was explaining to me that on social media, things heated up. Around our first episode. Just days after its release. Well, that doesn't make me feel, <laughs> feel very good at all. I'm, I've got a buddy sick hit in my stomach hearing that um. don't make don't overthink it i've dealt with this
2: stuff a lot these are people who are who are hurting and grieving um it's a pretty standard reaction and you have to understand from their position to hear this about someone who they're who they're grieving for it is bloody difficult um, yeah can you just leave it with me respond on the facebook page
1: yep. just... producing a missing persons podcast can be a high wire act of sorts Theories sprout like weeds in the sun. Concrete answers lurk in the darkness. Cops keep their cards close. Those with the greatest emotional stake, the family of the missing person, are left trying to make sense of it all, while also trying to protect the reputation of someone that can't defend themselves. We at the Missing Files podcast are absolutely committed to raising the public profile of cases we explore to help authorities and loved ones edge closer to the truth. We do it voluntarily and we do it because we feel we help bring closure to families suffering unimaginable grief we acknowledge the balancing act in trying to present an unfiltered view of a person's life while also respecting the sensitivities of loved ones. In episode one, we explored Jaden Penno-Thomset's early life and his slide into the murky world of drug addiction. Jaden's mum, Rachel, who has cooperated fully with this podcast, wanted to set the record straight about a number of claims made in episode one. Here are those claims. Jaden first experimented with ICE at age 16, not 14. Jaden was never involved in car theft as far as Rachel is aware. Now, whilst we don't feel we suggested this point in episode 1, we do want to reiterate that Jaden was never requested to perform sexual favours to settle his drug debts. Rachel does however believe that some of Jaden's younger mates were targeted sexually by older men. Rachel has also contested the dollar figure Jaden owed to his dealers. A few figures were thrown around in episode one. Rachel says police told her Jaden had $10,000 worth of drugs on tick to his dealer. But it could have been slightly more too. The amount owed by Jaden to dealers is a critical point as we explore the possible motives for murdering Jaden. And Jaden's father, Brendan Thompson, separated from Rachel before Jaden's birth, not shortly after. With that out of the way, let's get down to business. In episode 1. We covered the five most credible theories that could account for Jaden's disappearance on December 31st, 2017 from Charters Towers. They are. Jaden committed suicide and managed to hide his own body down a mine shaft, or maybe another hard to find location. Jaden staged his own disappearance to start a new life. Jaden perished in the unforgiving scrub after wandering off in a drug-induced haze and his remains were consumed, maybe by animals, before search parties arrived. Jaden was the victim of an orchestrated hit over unpaid drug debts. And finally, Jaden was the victim of a notorious serial killer on the Flinders Highway known as the Highway of Death. As our investigation deepens, so too does our understanding of the detail in this case. Based on that, we feel comfortable in all but ruling out the possibility Jaden was the victim of a serial killer. There are few people with as forensic a knowledge of this case than Townsville Bulletin senior journalist, Trudy Brown. Trudy has spent much of her career covering yarns in the Charters Towers region. In fact, she was the editor of the Charters Towers newspaper, the Northern Minor, when Jaden disappeared. She still resides in Charters Towers and has lived and breathed this case for three years. We asked her about the theory Jaden was preyed on by a roaming serial killer on the Flinders Highway.
3: The irony is they talk about the the highway of death and the Flinders Highway stretches from Townsville all the way to Mount Iver. Hmm. It's a thousand kilometres, you know, really, to talk about a highway of death. It's quite interesting and and quite a number of those, well, no, with the exception of Jaden's disappearance, all of those deaths happened. Pre 1990, so the likelihood of Jaden's death being a serial killer death or suddenly connected to something that happened in the 90s, uh, sorry, in the 80s, is really, you know, a bit <laughs> fanciful, I suppose.
1: Investigating cold cases doesn't always play out like it does in the movies. It's an exercise in balance and the cold science of probability. Speculating about a serial killer in this case might be lurid and dramatic, but with the last suspected victim of a highway killer, nearly three decades before Jaden disappeared, we reckon this theory belongs in the highly unlikely pile. Statistically, it's also highly unlikely. Australia has very few known cases of serial killers, 39 in total since colonization, and only 16 since the 80s and 90s. And with the increase in technology, forensic analysis and location tracking, killing multiple people with purpose is harder than ever. We're also placing less weight on the theory that Jaden took his own life or staged his own disappearance to start afresh. Yes, his mental health was shaky leading up to the trip. And yes, with drug debts mounting, he had a motive to disappear. But those that knew him best, his family and friends, say that Jaden didn't have the resources or the intricate planning skills needed to fake his own disappearance. And they're not convinced he was serious about taking his own life. Even if he did, the sheer improbability of being able to position his body so it wouldn't be found by search teams who did a thorough sweep of the area means that this theory holds little water. During this investigation, there has been one person having sleepless nights trying to make sense of what happened. Rachel Penno has a sole mission in life, to find out what happened to her son. I know that Rachel has sleepless nights firsthand, having received dozens of text messages from her over many days, sometimes from 10.30pm to 5.30am, and with little gaps in between. But she says she hasn't done it alone. She has a tribe of support helping in ways that are only known from the sidelines. People like Nicole, Jamie, June and Myrtle, close allies and supporters of Rachel's that deserve mention for helping out in their various ways. Whether it's dealing with the hundreds of leads that have come in through social media to escorting Rachel on searches in Charters Towers itself. Rachel is extremely grateful to family and friends and even new ones she's met along the way who help with clues and provide comfort and support. And there's also Sherelle Harwood, who we've come to know as Rell. Rell lives on the central coast of New South Wales and is Jaden's auntie, Jayden's stepdad Kent Harwood's sister. Whilst the family connection ended after Kent and Rachel parted ways, Rell came back into Rachel's life when Jaden went missing. Since then, and despite the complexities in nature of their relationship, Rell has also stood by Rachel during this traumatic search for answers. Rell has split her time between obsessively investigating her nephew's disappearance and trying to live life as she describes as after Jaden," meaning after his disappearance. Rell is uniquely positioned to have insights into this case. Not only was she close with Jaden but she's a former long-serving general duties cop at one of the state's busiest commands, Brisbane Waters.
4: I don't believe that Jay's alive. Um, I don't believe that he's gone off to make a new life or or get away from... It. I don't believe that. And I'm not saying it's impossible, but I, I don't believe it. I think he has met with foul play, um... I think that there's probably witnesses in this case that know a lot more about what happened. Um, I I do believe Jaden probably did, you know, they may have had an argument, you know. uh, I do believe Jaden may have pulled over and walked off. I I buy that bit. Um, You know, when Jaden got upset, he did tend to sort of walk off and cool down. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't I get oh whole... <sighs> Sorry, just give me a sec, Dan. Um
2: I <laughs> know oh, this is hard, real, I do know that. No, um,
4: um... There's a lot I want to say, but I know I probably shouldn't. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Um,
2: Well, let's talk in broad terms here. What what would the motivation... You you think it's most likely foul play. What would the motivation be for someone to to do away with Jay? Okay.
4: Uh, I know during the first episode, you're uh, a you Bridge-ended. You know, it just wouldn't happen to do away with somebody over $3,000 worth of drugs. And and that does uh, ring true to me. However, we've been... You know, so much information over the time has come that there was a you know ten thousand dollars drug debt, that there was a fifteen thousand dollars drug debt. Um, you know that that there was a lot more than we were aware of. So I think if you're starting to get up into high numbers, then I mean certainly there's a motive there. Um, I, I don't know whether I believe this was a planned thing. There's been some talk about Jaden being... Could have put back in a car and being taken elsewhere, hmm. um, even back to Newcastle. I think that's a, possibly one of the more far-fetched theories. Sort of, again, doesn't make sense to me. So, so, so real
2: because I want to drill down on this because this is really critical, yeah. obviously, to the case. I'm
4: sorry, I'm so, not giving you... You are, you give mind. me...
2: <laughs> what, what, what you're saying is great. So, yeah. say he owed 10 or 15 grand, which is not inconceivable, right? Say he owed 10 or 15 grand to, to bad guys, to, to dealers.
3: Yep.
2: Well, if he was indeed lured up there or if indeed he was handed over by someone who yeah. wanted to give him a scare to get the money out of him because they want their money they don't want to knock someone yeah. off they want their money how yeah. would Jay have reacted do you think if, if Jay knowing that he may have had a fight with Lucas and may have been worked up if he was bundled into a car with a couple of blokes either side saying mate you need to pay us the money and here's your deadline well, you know his character and, and yeah. no, he might have been high on drugs at the time but how would he have responded do you think Would he have escalated or would he de-escalate? Because that preservation of life is pretty strong normally.
4: I think he would have been terrified. I think if he'd have had any chance, he would have made phone calls to maybe attempt to get the money together if that was the case. Um, You know, he certainly had family and friends that would have done anything for him.
2: Mm, Okay, yep. Um,
4: I I think if he was in that situation, I think he would have known he was outmatched my
2: Bearing in mind Jay's precarious mental health, and that's been well documented in our first episode. Yes. Um, he'd threatened. His health wasn't great. He was in debt. He was depressed. He'd threatened suicide only weeks prior. Why is the suicide theory not feasible? Why, why, why hasn't he just, in the spur of the moment, done something stupid and um, and managed to hide himself so well he hasn't been found?
4: Look, that is certainly possible. You know, to, to me, the likelihood is that he would have been found if that was the case. But no, I can't guarantee that, obviously. Um, but, you know, Jay was a lot of talk as well when he was angry or upset. You know, he was, he was a lot of talk. And, I mean, I can't say that he wouldn't have committed suicide, That it certainly is possible. Um, if all my other questions were answered... I, I might look at that in a different
1: light. So this leaves us with two leading theories. That Jaden perished from exposure after getting lost while affected by drugs. Or that Jaden was killed for a reason connected with drugs or drug debts. Or maybe some other motive we are yet to uncover. Investigating a case of this sort can take you down some unusual paths and throw up plenty of red herrings. As an amateur sleuth, I am guilty of receiving one piece of information and taking it as gospel. Then I formulate an opinion on what must have happened, only to discover on further investigation that factual evidence proves otherwise. There will be some examples of these instances later in this episode. One of the more curious tip-offs we received since episode one was from Yvonne Shuton. Yvonne is a nurse at Charters Towers Hospital, and she was on duty the night of December 30, 2017. That is the night of Jaden's fight with Lucas and subsequent disappearance, when she fielded a bizarre phone call. A phone call that she says she received at 10.50pm. That's four hours before Jaden and Lucas were seen at the Puma Roadhouse on CCTV. It's at least 12 hours before Lucas lost contact with Jaden, and a full three days prior to him being reported missing to authorities and the media.
5: I, I spoke to Rachel about the phone call that I got at work because I was working on the thirtieth of December.
1: That's right. You were you were you were um, at the hospital as a nurse that night, and you received a call asking whether uh, whether Jaden had checked in at, at, at the hospital.
5: Correct. Correct. And and. And I I honestly, I wish I'd written it down, but I didn't write down the name of the person that rang. Um, So I passed that information on to the police. And then when I spoke to Rachel, she said they never followed that phone call up.
1: Is it completely odd that an unidentified male called the Charters Towers Hospital, asking if Jaden had been admitted when no one even knew he was missing. Or is it reasonable that after a lack of contact between the boys in the car and the friends in Cairns, the one of the Cairns boys determined where they may be on their journey and called to ensure they were safe? We are hoping that any of the mates already in Cairns could contact us to discuss the events of the 30th of December to the 3rd of January in particular. DM us at our Facebook page, The Missing Files. As you already know, and as just mentioned, the last confirmed sighting of Jaden and Lucas was in grainy CCTV footage captured at the Puma Roadhouse in Charters Towers. This was at about 3am on December 31st. This was one of the few documented moments during the fateful trip and forms a critical part of the investigation, if only because it places the pair at Charters Towers at that time. In the footage, Jaden dressed in a black singlet Blue shorts, a black cap, and thongs, grabs a drink, he has a stretch, and exits. We'd also been tipped off by another Charters Towers local of a fire that appeared to be deliberately lit just an hour before Jaden and Lucas were captured on CCTV. I thought it would be good if we could find a witness from the Puma Roadhouse that night to tell us about the fire, but more importantly, about the demeanour of the boys. Was there an altercation? Could they hear what the disagreement was about? I didn't have to search too far for answers because whilst on the phone with Yvonne asking about the fire, she revealed someone very close to her was actually working there that night. On the same night that Jaden went missing, there was well, in fact, it was just an hour before he was recorded on CCTV at the Puma Roadhouse, that there was a substantial and reportedly a deliberately lit fire just a few hundred metres from the roadhouse. Have you heard about that? Can you tell us anything about that?
5: Um, no, I can't. But um, maybe my daughter-in-law can, because she was actually working um, the night that that
1: cctv is released oh where was she working
5: at the puma roadhouse
1: she was at the puma roadhouse when possibly when Jaden was there
5: yeah she saw him there oh sam.
1: wow sam. oh g'day how are you going sam good how are you yeah good so i've just found out you were there the night that um Jaden was recorded on cctv at the puma roadhouse
6: Yeah, yeah, me and my work colleague um, were there. Um, My colleague was serving, um, and I was the one that came out and just had a check to see if she needed any help.
1: Because one of the things that we were hoping to ask someone that was working there at the the Puma Roadhouse was um, Lucas, who was travelling up with Jade, and said that they did get into a bit of a barney at the at the roadhouse, and um, we just wanted to know if there was any eyewitness accounts of that because you can't tell from the CCTV vision. But it sounds like you you heard them having a loud discussion at one stage. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. So we
6: don't we didn't actually like because I was in the kitchen, so I've got all the like the loud equipment in the kitchen going, so we didn't actually hear what it was about. But you could definitely tell that they were having an alternative about something
1: okay well that that's just substantiates what he what he's been saying all along so it's it's good to hear that you could um, verify that and I'm assuming that you've also talked to police about it
6: um no so the police never actually even spoken to me I don't know if they spoke to Jeannie because Jeannie was the one that served them, but we were never questioned at all
1: did you did you think that was a bit surprising considering you were the last people that may have seen him
6: Well, yeah, that's right, because we were the ones that supplied the CCTV footage when I was working at the Puma Roadhouse.
1: Whilst cross-referencing the dates and times of Sam at the Roadhouse, I did have it confirmed by a previous manager of the Puma that police had spoken to him about the boys when he handed the full footage to authorities. Sam's account seems to confirm Lucas's claims that he and Jaden had parted ways after this verbal disagreement. As the tensions burned between Lucas and Jaden, a literal fire was raging just a stone's throw from the Puma Roadhouse. Could this somehow be linked to Jaden's disappearance? Perhaps a red herring to distract police from a drug exchange or planned hit around the same time and location? Or was it mere coincidence?
6: Yeah, we had smoke close to the roadhouse um, and we knew there was a fire close by
1: One thing everyone connected with this case agrees on is that Lucas and Jaden were carrying a large amount of drugs with them, most likely ecstasy and other forms of MDMA. Jaden's mum believes they were carting 100 Bart Simpson stamped ecstasy pills, and has also been told by a source that there was an unknown amount of marijuana and possibly ice. But could they have been carrying vastly more drugs than she knew? Could they have been supplying drugs to two very different markets? One for recreational use, as MDMA is known for. And maybe one for a single trade in ice for cash in Charters Towers, a town with a well-documented ice problem on the night of Jaden's disappearance. Just four months earlier, Queensland Police pulled over a four-wheel drive just outside of Charters Towers, and they found about $2 million worth of ice hidden under frozen food in a camping fridge. Could this have caused a chronic shortage of the drug in the region and provided a business opportunity for dealers from Newcastle? As we mentioned earlier, Jaden was in the hole for several thousand dollars, possibly more, to dealers in the Newcastle area with rumours of a connection to outlaw motorcycle gangs. Could the trip to Cairns for New Year's Eve, a known party capital, have been Jaden's opportunity to move some gear and pay off his debt? Of course... Lucas is in the best position to let us know what volume of drugs they had with them. We do respect his right to privacy, but hope that he takes us up on the offer to help rule out a number of lines of inquiry and to help give some comfort to Jaden's loved ones. His disappearance sparked a media storm and a massive 85 square kilometer aerial and land search of Charters Towers, centred on Acacia Vale, Dunroman and Stockroot Roads, the Burdekin River, dams, weirs and abandoned mine shafts. Typical for early January up north, it was bone dry and oppressively hot. We sincerely thank Leanne from Charters Towers for providing records of weather patterns from the area at the time, indicating very little rainfall, just 13 millimetres for all of December 2017, but for sporadic downfalls in January and February. Queensland police officers and SES crews from Charters Towers and neighbouring areas trudged through the scrub in the hope of finding a clue, a footprint, a piece of clothing, anything. After two fruitless weeks combing the area, the search was officially called off on January 25th, 2018. Charters Towers journalist Trudy Brown said the search shifted focus after news emerged that Lucas had stumbled onto a property begging for a glass of water.
2: Tell me about that search. You mentioned that, and uh, I want to give our listeners a sense of what the terrain's like around there. If he did have this argument with Lucas and stumbled into surrounding terrain, whether he could have um, come afoul of the um, the area. You know, are there mine shafts around there? What's the scrub like? Paint a picture for me, Trudy. What is the terrain like around that area? <laughs>
3: Well, look, the interesting thing I think is that uh, the last CCT, the last clear CCT footage of Jaden is at the Puma Roadhouse. And after Lucas spoke with police, the initial search area where um, they looked for Jaden was an area not far from that roadhouse, only three kilometres or so, called Towers Hill. That's what it's known as by the locals. And Towers Hill was where gold was discovered back in 1871. And it's covered in mineshafts. It's also uh, historically an area that was used during World War Two. There were lots of bunkers, uh, World War Two bunkers um, built on that site. And so there's plenty of places where someone could, you know, camp for the night or bunk down for the night, I suppose, quite safely and in, in some sort of sheltered area. Um, so that's what police and SES crews looked first. Uh, and then it wasn't really until a little bit later that they started to suspect that that was the wrong location. Um, so they did start searching elsewhere. And then on the 9th of January, the Northern Miner actually published the story asking people that try and help with information, if they knew anything, if they'd seen the uh, Nissan Pulsar that that Lucas had been driving and whether or not um, they had seen either of the young gentlemen during the time they were here. Mm. Um, And a local man came forward and said, yes, Yes, Lucas knocked on my door and asked for a glass of water. So that changed the search site completely. So even though by that stage police had already been searching for a number of days, um, they changed their site to Stockroot Road, which is about fifteen kilometres from the original search site.
2: Um, and that's where this—that's that's where this resident lived, is it?
3: That's right. Gotcha. Um, and that terrain is quite different uh to the towers hill uh, which has you know mine shafts and lots of areas that are protected that he could camp and and hide i suppose um in this case we're talking just rural acreage blocks, smaller blocks 100 acres, you know, a couple of farms and in fact the search was based at one farm a cultivation site uh, they searched all up and down the Burdekin River, they searched extensively in hollows and gullies and, and all sorts of things like that there were SES crews from Charters Towers Pentland, the Burdekin um, so there was a lot of crews from a lot of different areas came and joined that search and they searched for over two weeks. I think the interesting thing is had Jaden um, come into some form of misadventure, or he'd been murdered and buried in a shallow grave, that ultimately, uh, carrion and uh, scavengers would have eventually turned up. And those are the sorts of things SES crews are looking for when they're out and about. And there were no signs of any of that during the whole two weeks while they were out and about
2: searching Interesting, okay so you, you, you are largely discounting the theory that Jaden perished whether by um, his own hand or by somebody else's and his body remained in that in that district exposed to the elements you think that that, that, that hasn't happened?
3: Uh, absolutely. If he had if he had died and been exposed to the elements, he would have been found, I believe, because of the extensive search that they did. And I mean, the area obviously is quite large, but it was quite a significant search. I remember the SES and the police, actually, the team saying to me that the reason they searched so heavily along the river was that that was a source of fresh water, that if Jaden had been making an effort to hide from them, that they would at the least, uh, that he would still have needed water. And knowing that he didn't have that with him, he would have had to source uh, a nearby water source. I know the police also talked to all the households or all the property owners in that area as well, because they were wanting to know if there'd been signs of somebody being at the property. So if Jaden had made an effort to hide uh, in sheds or in you know, or sneak under properties and break into outdoor fridges and things like that, stealing food or or, or fluids, then that would have been noticed as well and there was no signs of
1: that at all. We've had it confirmed that at approximately 8 or 9am on the morning of the 31st of January, Lucas asked for a glass of water from some locals in the area, the Murphys. Having potentially searched for Jaden for hours, one can imagine even at that time of day, he may have been quite thirsty. Rachel remembers this conversation as being important. Because according to her, Mr Murphy described Lucas as acting furtive, or suspiciously. For this episode, we consider it important too, because it gives us further insight into the case's timeline. Trudy Brown also mentions the support that authorities received from the Charters Towers community. This point can't be overstated. During our research, we've reached out to Charters Towers locals on numerous occasions. Each time they've been unfailingly generous, helpful, and proud of their town. If you want to see the real Australia, and hey, who's travelling overseas at the moment anyway, you could do worse than hitting the road to visit this fascinating part of our country. It even has its own drive-in twin cinema, something that not many other towns and cities can boast. In many ways, the Charters Towers community are forgotten victims in this case. The town has been thrust into the headlines for no fault of its own, and a number of locals have had the cloak of suspicion cast over them. As we immerse ourselves deeper into the case, we're moving closer to understanding what may have happened to Jaden. We've reached out to the lead investigator at Queensland Police on numerous occasions, and whilst they are reluctant to disclose the finer details of the police brief ahead of a future coronial inquest, we have established the following. Police do not currently have any suspects in the case. Lucas Tattersall has been interviewed by police and they say he's been fully cooperative. Most, if not all of Jaden's mates in Cairns where he and Lucas were headed have been interviewed. Police are currently of the view foul play was not involved in Jaden's death and that he simply perished in the bushland surrounding Charters Towers. Notwithstanding this, Jaden's family and friends remain of the belief there is more to his disappearance. They have identified at least two men as possibly knowing more about the matter than they're letting on. Jaden's travelling companion, Lucas Tattersall has had the spotlight on him from day dot. On Facebook pages like the Jaden Penno Thompson Help Find group, most of those posting have already made up their minds. They claim Lucas's story is riddled with inconsistencies and question how he could have left his maid in Charters Towers and headed off to Cairns on the morning of the fight. They claim there's a photo showing two other people in Lucas's car on the trip north. An ex-girlfriend of Lucas's claims she received a Snapchat message in the hours after Jaden was captured at the Puma Roadhouse showing Jaden drinking a beer on a property with a red fence. They believe a dispute over the drugs they were carrying or a drug debt is central to the case. Now, to be clear, none of these claims have been substantiated by the Missing Files podcast and defamation laws prevent us from sharing some of the more well, provocative accusations. In a number of text and Facebook messages to various people obtained by the Missing Files podcast, Lucas strongly denies he was involved in Jaden's disappearance and casts more light on the events leading up to it. He also denies he has links with outlaw motorcycle gangs. The voice you're about to hear is an actor and not the voice of Lucas Tattersall but it comes from either public Facebook posts or messages we have been provided with screenshots of, allegedly from Lucas. People need to blame someone to give themselves peace of mind or a reason as to why he's gone. They didn't want to accept the fact that maybe he was so over life and maybe took his life, or perhaps because of the fact he ticked up over nine grand of drugs to take to Cairns and smoked the majority of it on the way up. He was in a world of trouble and God knows what he was thinking at the time. He was so lost and hurt and fucked up from the ice. And another text. You're actually stupid if you believe the theory I had him set up and taken out over drug money. I'm not denying there were threats, but I didn't make them nor take any part in it. In these messages, Lucas seems to confirm the suspicion that Jaden was in more drug debt than many thought and was carrying a vast amount of the drug ice up to Cairns, presumably to sell and help reduce his debt. The idea that he could have smoked the majority of the stash on the car trip up, as Lucas suggests, is fanciful to anyone with even a passing knowledge of drugs. Many of Lucas' responses on social media have since been deleted. Then there's Lloyd Lavery. Lloyd embodies the Queensland Outback archetype to a T. He's big, boisterous and direct and works on his sizeable plot of land on Acacia Vale Road, which is intersected by the Burdekin River. Lloyd became part of this story when he reported to police a suspicious car with New South Wales number plates parked at the entrance to his property on New Year's Day 2018, two days before Jaden was reported missing. Lloyd reported the car, A blue-green Japanese model, which didn't fit the description of Lucas's vehicle, had a man in his early 20s asleep in the front seat. We have information that police later ruled out the car as having any connection to the case. But there's more to this puzzle shortly. So Lloyd was simply passing on information. But it didn't end there. Some locals, and others following the story, started engaging in a game of Chinese whispers, which ultimately had Lloyd as a suspect in the case. Lloyd engaged back, and before long, it became heated. A dangerous position to be in on social media during a missing persons investigation. Rumours quickly became claims, and we were sent public Facebook posts saying things like his property was owned by an outlaw motorcycle gang, and another particularly malicious rumour had Lloyd shooting Jaden dead after a botched drug deal. Lloyd says this is all nonsense and police have not identified him as a person of interest. The Missing Files podcast is not suggesting Lloyd has any knowledge of or involvement in Jaden's disappearance. In fact, we contacted Lloyd to discuss the case and he agreed to chat to us for the podcast before changing his mind just minutes before we were set to record the following day. There are a rogues gallery of other Charters Towers locals that have been mentioned as possible suspects, most rumoured to be involved in outlaw motorcycle gangs or the town's drug trade. But again, no credible evidence has supported the claims. Many locals just can't shake the feeling that a drug exchange or dispute is in some way connected with the disappearance.
5: It's alleged that they they were meeting up with a person in charter Towers obviously out in Stockwood Road um, to either to get drugs to take up to the party in King <laughs> and I know there's quite a, there's quite a few people like on, on that road out there not 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 so much on Stockwood Road but in on, on Acacia Bell Road, um, that, that use drugs and smoke dope and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and I don't know, maybe well, I would, I don't know. I've never, I, I can't say, that's just speculation. So um, so for them to be in that area for a, a drug pickup or a drug drop-off um, doesn't sound unreasonable.
1: There's something foreboding about the Queensland outback. The ocean of red dirt, the unforgiving scrub, the desolation... It feels like an easy place to make someone disappear. And the region has seen its fair share of murders in recent years, most connected with drugs. In 2015, Michael McCabe was found dead at a location near Charters Towers. Mr. McCabe was reportedly murdered over a $10,000 drug debt. His killer now behind bars, after McCabe's body was found in a creek wrapped in a blanket. At least three others are on charges for being accessories. Charters Towers has also long been a notorious drug-running corridor. Its proximity to major centres in all four directions, meaning it's long been favoured by drug couriers. One of the more colourful arrests came in 2005 when Brenda Joyce Eastwood, a grandmother of three, pleaded guilty to drug trafficking, possession of a dangerous drug, and possessing things involved in committing a crime. Eastwood was pulled over by an RBT patrol as she was approaching Charters Towers in a Nissan Patrol four-wheel drive. Police were alerted to the smell of marijuana and searched the vehicle, uncovering 25 one pound bags of cannabis. It emerged Eastwood was part of an elaborate drug running operation with connections to Mick Corby, late father of Chappelle Corby. Jaden's hometown of Newcastle is also no stranger to drug related slayings. In 2016, Dylan Dickey was suspected to be murdered over a drug debt at Cessnock, just 47 minutes northwest of Newcastle. Nine days earlier, his grandfather Robert mysteriously vanished from his home near Dubbo. Neither body has been recovered. Five months later, at Thornton, just 32 minutes north of Newcastle from Jaden's home, Zach Barnes disappeared in what on the surface seems to be eerily similar circumstances to Jaden. An argument with an acquaintance a scheduled big night out with friends, a flee from a vehicle into bushland, and vanishing without a trace. And then there's the rumours and innuendo that goes on with that of a missing person. In the early days following the mysterious disappearance and subsequent discovery of his body, just 90 minutes or so west of Charters Towers, gold prospector Francis Brenton was rumoured to have stumbled across a bush meth lab and been killed for his finding. The simple truth? Well, according to a source and verified by them with authorities, Francis Brenton had taken his own life and drugs were never involved. This is an example, as I mentioned earlier, of when rumour is trumped by fact. We mention these cases for a number of reasons. Firstly, it suggests and confirms that some people are murdered for drug debts, similar amounts to what Jaden has been reported to owe. Secondly, that this part of the highway is a known drug trafficking corridor. Remember earlier we spoke about the $2 million bust? Well, what about the granny mule? And we have other similarities in some of these cases. The proximity to either Newcastle or the Charters Towers area. Are they related to drugs? Well, that remains up in the air. And the suspicions of a community as to who had done what and to whom. As in Brenton's case, just that. Suspicions and conjecture. And not the truth. When we receive information, we have to treat it in such a way that it could be true. Or... A lie. But there is a third explanation as to someone's information. It could be a mistake in details. Was it a faulty memory? A second or even third-hand exchange of gossip. I know firsthand that with hundreds of pages of information provided to us, screenshots, text messages, DMs, Facebook posts and hearsay, that mistakes happen. Heck, that's even how we kicked off this episode. But when it comes to determining the truth from a lie, we have to ask the same question in both directions. What is the outcome of that? If it's true, what does that mean? If it's a lie, what does that mean? Here's former New South Wales Police Commander, Detective Superintendent, Michael Rowan.
7: In in a high-profile investigation and a missing person uh, under these circumstances um, is one of those. Uh, everybody wants to provide as much information as as they can, and and of course uh, the methodology of police not only in New South Wales, in Australia and across the world, is we put out calls for people's assistance, anything that they may have seen or otherwise. We don't want them to discount things. So we we take all of that information in, and and generally what happens is that that all gets uh, recorded, noted, uh, correlated, and then somebody will actually go through that and determine the veracity and the validity of, of that information and determine whether that's something that's worth following up or otherwise, so you know you've got a a young fellow that's gone missing in, in certain circumstances, he's going to have friends and relatives and so forth. they're going to put out the word and you know what's what's happened and and so forth and and people come back and people want to genuinely help and and sometimes what they they're telling you is is uh, a belief that they have but but uh, ironically um after a bit of uh, effort, investigative effort on that information, as you quite rightly say, um, you can come to a point where you know that this couldn't possibly have happened. And, uh, but if people have a belief, it's very, very hard to shake that belief. So this is where you need to be uh, focused as an investigator and as a, an investigative team and make sure that you don't get uh, drawn down roads uh, on the uh, information that is being supplied and where you have to keep that open mind. If you close your mind off to information um, without a basis of evidence to discount that information, um It can be fraught and I've seen that happen in other high-profile cases over the years where um, somebody will discount something and say that 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 means nothing, it's it's nothing and then later down the track, uh, it turns out it was a pivotal piece of information that has been just uh, discounted by somebody.
1: No human should have to endure the grief of uncertainty experienced by loved ones of missing people. Rachel Penno, Rel Harwood. And the many others who love Jaden will tell you it's a special kind of hell, invading both their waking and sleeping hours.
2: Rel, I've got to know you well over the last couple of months, and I know how passionate and determined you are to get a result here. I want to know personally what sort of impact this has had on your life.
4: Oh, God. Um, I think Rachel said it's best, it's hell, really. It's, it's every day it's with you it's in your head every day every day just the not knowing is is horrific and I don't think anyone ever believes this will happen to them and yeah it's it's one moment before and one moment after it's gone yeah Um,
2: what what would it mean to get an answer regardless of what that answer is and it might not be uh, the answer you want but what what would it mean
4: I know people don't like the word closure Uh, I quite I quite like the word closure But um, I don't do well not knowing.
1: As podcast producers and listeners, we should never lose sight of what the end goal is. To find an answer to help ease the pain for those in emotional purgatory. Public pressure equals political pressure equals change. By talking about these cases and sharing them through your social media networks, you're actively raising their profile and putting pressure on authorities to put more resources into solving them. On Christmas Day 2019, Rachel published this poem to Facebook.
4: I miss you so much. I've always believed you were out there somewhere waiting to be freed. I feel you sometimes. I hear you as well. We'll always be connected, yet I'm stuck in this hell. I will find you, Jay. I won't stop till I do... And until that day, remember I'll always love you.
1: There are a number of things that can crack a cold case like Jaden's. A new witness. A jailhouse confession. A body found. A strand of DNA evidence. But failing that... Perhaps the best hope for Jaden's family lies in a coronial inquest. The purpose of a coronial inquest is to review suspicious and accidental deaths. Jaden's matter has been referred to the coroner, and a coronial inquest is set to start on May 4th this year, with a pre inquest hearing to be held on February 11th. The role of the coroner is to review the evidence presented and make a finding. While the findings do not impose a penalty on an accused person, they can uncover a fresh lead for police to investigate or flush out a new suspect. The Missing Files podcast will follow this inquest and keep our listeners in touch with any developments. We've covered an awful lot in this episode and the case is far from over. We are making this podcast in real time, talking to witnesses, loved ones, and those involved in the case as the podcast is produced. So that's why even after announcing that each Missing Files episode will be released on the 15th of the month, we had to push it out by a few more days because new information came to light. Remember I mentioned Lloyd Lavery seeing a car near his property and remember we said We had been informed not by police but by other sources that police had ruled out such a vehicle. Well, as luck would have it, Rachel stumbled across one of the owners of a car that apparently matched the description that Lloyd had given to police. She sent screenshots of the exchange with this woman who had told Rachel she'd been questioned over a couple of days with investigators in Charters Towers. Her car was light blue with New South Wales plates And it was in the area at the time. This is a red flag for me. We need to know more about this vehicle. I knew Lloyd didn't want to be on the podcast anymore, but I had to know. Was this the car he had reportedly seen? I sent the photo of the car to Lloyd with the number plate obstructed for privacy reasons. Is this the car you saw? Within 15 seconds of sending the little speech bubble started dotting across the screens. Lloyd was replying. His response was quick and his judgment even quicker. Nah, mate, more green than that, I think. I don't think that's the car. That's not the colour. I asked former police commander, Detective Superintendent Michael Rowan for his take on this finding.
7: The reality is, is you get, you get witnesses and you can't. You can't pick and choose your witnesses. Your witnesses are your witnesses yeah. and over over the years with experience has taught me is that you just can't discount you just can't discount people because they might have a, a a view and an observation of something um and you might think at a particular moment in time well this can't be right but what happens is, is as the investigation evolves um it turns out they not only can be right but they can be very, very accurate. But investigators generally, and this, this is actually has been borne out. Eyewitness testimony uh, has been discredited so many times in so many matters over so many years that at times it is um, uh, can can be considered doubtful by people. Um, but you, the reality is, is in life, witnesses that come forward for an in- inquiry, they're your witness. You know They are the people who are telling you what they saw, what they heard, what they know. And you've got to dig into that and pull that apart for want of a better term and, to, and attempt to corroborate what they're telling you. And that corroboration can give them credibility or it may not.
1: I again reached out to Lucas via DM. I'm determined to hear his voice, to ask him questions. And I got something I wasn't expecting a message back from Lucas. A big thank you to actor Jamie Way and those prepared to be recorded in this episode, such as Yvonne, Samantha, Sherelle, Trudy, and of course, Rachel.
0: The number for contacting authorities if you have information that could be helpful to an active investigation is Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000. More information about our episodes and cases covered can be located on our website, missingfiles.com.au and our social media channels. The Missing Files podcast is independently produced by Adam Drummond and WaggaWagga.tv in collaboration with editor Matt Olson investigative journalist Daniel Johns and former New South Wales police commander and detective superintendent Michael Rowan. No monies, sponsorship or income is generated through the Missing Files podcast and it is produced in a completely voluntary basis by all contributors.